I don't know about you guys, but I love worship. And I, uh, ever been in church service, you just want it to just keep going. It's like, let's just skip the word. I, I love the word. I love the preaching. But there's just the, and, and if you're like me, it takes me about two or three songs to get into finally, you know, I guess that's the ADHD in me. We I mean, was talking last week about Proverbs and how, I, I just, I don't know what Solomon's state of mind was when he was writing Proverbs, but I just picture all this stuff he's trying to get out, and he's telling his son this, and, and we read in today in chapter 6, where he talks about the sluggard, and it can't help, it makes me wonder, was he talking about his son, was his son a lazy bum, was was his son the one that every time he turned around, he was in there sleeping nonstop, how long will you sleep, and or who is he talking about, you know? I got a son, and there was days where you couldn't get him to do nothing. And I remember when he had his Xbox, and he probably won't watch this, so oh well. But his Xbox took up all of his time. And I remember one day he come downstairs, and he said, Dad, I, I swear there was about a tear in his eye. He says, my Xbox is broke. And I'm like, I'm doing dishes. I'm like, Psst. and he's can you buy me another one? I was like, not a chance. <laughs> but, you know, after that, he, he kind of grew out of that. And now he's serving and he's down in Florida uh, going to Bible school. And, and so, but anyway, we're going to go to chapter 6 of Proverbs. And I promise you, I have all my stuff stapled together. They won't be flying all over the place. They're not upside down backwards. I've studied them and read them. I'm good to go. I'm going to try to... And I still ain't got my glasses. The VA is really slow about getting the glasses. She said, it'll be on its way, and that's two weeks ago. So anyway, so I'm still squinting. Um, but anyway, in chapter 6 of Proverbs, there's so much in this chapter, and there's so much in chapter 7, and I'm going to do my best to get us there. And I forget what time we're supposed to stop, so raise your hands when you all want to go. <laughs> um, but we're going to open up in prayer. And like we pray for Pastor Paul and Miss Kim and and those that are sick, you know, sick bugs been at our house and and uh, hopefully we sent it home packing. But um, Heavenly Father, Lord, I just ask that you would just touch tonight, Lord. I just ask that you would just infiltrate each one of our hearts, each one of our minds, Lord. Your Word says that he that has an ear, let him hear. Lord, we're here. We're wanting to listen, Lord. We want to learn, and we just love your word, and we just ask that you would just incorporate everything that we read tonight and that you would embed it in the depths of our heart. And, Lord, we just ask that you would show us something new today, and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So in chapter 6, it goes through several sections, and, again, it's, it's, it's so sporadic, and it, it, you almost would think that there's no rhyme or reason behind what's being said. It's just... It's just just a hodgepodge of just notes. And, and but there's a purpose behind all this and you know and um you know like I said last week, you know, proverbs is it they it's it's a sh they're short statements that that take the place of long explanations. I can't help but wonder behind all these different things that are being mentioned in Proverbs, there's so much more depth to why he's saying what he says. Is it because he's went through certain things? Was he the young guy going down the street and that lady, that, that, the woman lured him in, which we read later on? Was he that guy trying to protect his son from going? All of us have got kids. We try to do everything we can to keep our kids from going through what we've been through. No matter how hard-headed they are about trying to still go that way anyway. It's like, I'm just trying to save you the trouble. 
I can't help but wonder if this is Solomon. He's trying to, I'm just trying to save you from the heartache and I went through. I watched my daddy do this, or I, I heard my dad telling stories, King David, about what happened with Bathsheba and, and all the stuff. And not that women are bad, but, but to a young man who is still inexperienced, and it's not that he's talking to the stupid one, he's talking to the one that's inexperienced. And there's a difference. He's trying to help the young man who may be fresh out of school or fresh young. We were talking last week about Song of Solomon, and I don't know who it was that said it, but they said that in, in, in Jewish school they wouldn't even let the, the young children or the young teens read the book of Song of Solomon because it was so. But, you know, what I'm saying is there, there, there's a level of, uh, there's, anyway, I'll keep going. <laughs> So in verse chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Taking debts of friends and strangers. So in verse 1, it says, My son, if you become surety for your friend, and if you have shaken hands and pledged for a stranger, you are snared by the words of your mouth, and you are taken by the words of your mouth. See, this wasn't just Solomon's advice. This is God's advice. He's saying don't take debt for somebody else. Now Solomon, like we said last week, Solomon was a very wealthy man. They, they say that he's, I for, still forget whether it's him or Job. Him and Job are up there. They, they, they're, they're like the Warren Buffetts of the Bible. I mean, they, there wasn't anybody any more wealthier than them too. Uh, one of them's first, one of them's second, I guess. But this is advice from Solomon, the richest guy in the world. He's telling his son, don't, don't go into debt for nobody. And that's, that's still good wisdom for today. It's not good advice to go and co-sign for nobody. This is the modern term is co-signing. You know, years ago, my wife and I, we had a guy from our church come up, and he asked to borrow some money. And I asked the pastor, because it was his son-in-law or grandson-in-law or something. And I asked him, I said, should I loan it to him? And he said, his exact words was, don't give it if you can't afford to lose it. And I've kept, we've kept that thought in our mind. The point is, you're better off just giving it and not... <laughs> You know, but when it comes to finances, the Bible has a lot to say about it. The Bible has a lot of wisdom about how, I mean, you, you remember the, and this isn't even on my notes, I'm just kind of shooting, but, you know, Jesus talks about the parable of the talents. You know, all of that involved how you handle your talents that you're giving, and we're each given a talent in life, and, and in this case, he's saying if your friends can't get their own debt, that's their problem. Don't go into debt for them, and if you did... Do whatever you got to do to get out from under it. He said, get out from under that debt right now. Because it says, you're snared by the words of your mouth. See, ironically, and here's what's crazy, and I was reading this, and our God, while he warns us about putting up security, did it himself. He went to the cross for us. He, he co-signed for my, my life if that makes any sense. Is that, isn't that crazy? It's ironic that he tells us, don't do this, but don't do as I do, do as I tell you. <laughs> it's kind of, you know, but only one person can fully guarantee a debt to be paid. That was Jesus. He guaranteed it would be paid. Then you read in, uh, in verse 3 through 5, it says, So do this, my son, and deliver yourself, for you have come into the land to the hand of, a fr of your friend. Go and humble yourself, plead, with your friend and give no sleep to your eyes nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. 
He says, humble yourself and, and plead to be released. And, uh, you know, my father-in-law, I've heard him tell stories about how he's, he's co-signed for a loan for this guy or that guy, and it don't ever seem to work out right. You know, they always have good intentions, but this is just wisdom for the young man. Okay, we just sent our son off, and, you know, if, if I was able to give him wisdom, he's in student, so he ain't got no money to be loaning anybody anyway. <laughs> and, but, you know, it's just wisdom. But he says, deliver yourself. And Solomon's trying to communicate this with an urgency. There's something about this subject that was really important to Solomon to get this point across. And then he go on to verse 6. He says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Kind of like a change of thought. I don't know if you know this, but if you read in your Bible and you see the numbers, I thought this was the coolest thing ever when I was taught this. But if you look at the numbers, you notice how some of them are regular and then there's bold numbers. They say that the bold numbers is a change of thought. So if you're reading this, and you, like I'm sure in verse 6, if you look in your Bibles, verse 6 is probably bold, bold number 6. At least some of them. At least mine is. But anyway, this is a change of thought. We're, we're, going, we're talking about debt. Also, we're talking about laziness. <laughs> it's kind of like, you know, squirrel. But anyway, go, it says, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise which having no captain, overseer, or ruler, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. Another word for a sluggard would be a hater of work. <laughs> Some of it just don't like to work. Um, the New Living Translation calls it lazy bones. There's a lot of words you can input into a sluggard. You know, the, the first part of that word would be slug. I remember as a kid, we used to watch the slug slowly go across the sidewalk. I'll tell you, you know, I was... I was a tormentor back then, you know, salt does amazing, <laughs> you know, and I, that was bad, but, you know, it, but, you know, that's the whole idea behind a slugger is they're just lazy. He, he challenges, Solomon is challenging the sluggard to go and learn. Now, that's hard to convince a lazy person to go and search. And, you know, David says, consider the stars, and he, he's, he's advising people to look at the stars and just be amazed. And Solomon said, look at the ground. Look at these ants. It's amazing the creation that we have around us. And that's what he's saying. But he goes, he says, go to the ant, you sluggard. How many of y'all had an ant farm growing up? Y'all like I, I never did. My mom wouldn't let me have one, but I always thought they were the coolest thing ever. You know, a little two planes of gas, glass with uh, sand in it, and you watch them build the little colonies, and they were amazing little things. How they can tie together, and, and the, 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 we can learn a lot. I honestly believe that God's creation should be a classroom. There's so much to God's creation. And Solomon is saying this. But he says, go to the ant, you slugger. And if you read in Proverbs, Proverbs 24, verse 30, he says it again, a little sleep, a little slumber. He says this again. So th this is a subject throughout Proverbs. So, again, I don't know if his son was just a lazy bum or, or, or I, I don't know. I don't say. It just says he, half of it he's talking to his son. So is that an issue or is it just somebody? He just must have hated laziness. But God does too. And it's sadly, I, I've, I've pastored, and, and there's laziness in the church. You want to believe? You don't believe me? First time they ask somebody to go volunteer in the children's church, everybody kind of turns their head. 
or, or, or nursery. Oh, gosh. You know, it, it, you'd be surprised. Our church is fortunate. we got some really great working people here. But I've been in some churches where, yeah, laziness applies to the church folks as well. This isn't just those bums that don't come to church on Wednesdays or Sundays. This, God is not really liking the laziness part. And if you don't know this, but Sodom and Gomorrah, part of the, their punishment was because of their laziness. Their, their idleness was, was part of their punishment. That was the re- Anyway, moving on. Proverbs 6, verse 8. I already read this, but I'm going to read it again. Go to the ant, you sluggard, consider her ways, and be wise. Which, having no captain, ruler, overseer, provides her supplies in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. And then you move on. It goes in verse 9. It says, How long will you slumber, O sluggard? When will you rise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall poverty come on you like a prowler, and you need, and your need like an armed man. Now, he's not saying don't ever sleep. I believe that rest is important. The Bible says to rest. We're supposed to rest. Sunday's that day. We're, we're, we're supposed to observe the Sabbath. But I think it's within moderation. <laughs> you know, uh, but he talks about the, the, the sluggard, how poverty will come quickly. Sleep is okay. Leisure is okay. But in Psalm 23, what's he say? The Lord is my shepherd. He commandeth me to what? He commands us to rest. That's in, that's in, that's in Psalm 23. He commands us to rest. Jesus came back. He said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. The whole point is that we can live in him and have rest. But we're so, sometimes our, our, our current minds, is we just, we just bang our heads over on the wall and say, oh, it hurts. You know, we, we just don't realize God makes things so much easier in life. And Solomon somehow figured that out. I don't know how he did that with 700 wives and whatever, how he figured out how to learn how to rest. I, I, but he did. He, he's teaching about it. Moving on. But he's talking about you know, serving the Lord. And there's three characteristics that I learned about a lazy person. Number one, they will not focus on the tasks at hand. You find somebody at work that they just can't seem to focus on what they're told to do. You know, and that's just part of it. Another another characteristic is they don't finish what they started. Now, I, I got a lot of projects at home that I, I started this. It's not because I'm lazy. It's because I got too many projects. There's a difference. I got too many irons in the fire. I just need a bigger stove, I guess, huh? Number three is their lives, they, they live an unfulfilled life. A lazy person will never have a fulfilled life. And that, that's unfortunate. And I, I know people that I've grew up with that they're just lazy. And, and there's nothing you could do to fix that. You can't help them learn this. And, and as a pastor, you try to encourage. You know, my opinion is, and what I was always taught, is we're supposed to serve the Lord enthusiastically. You know, if we say, hey, we need some volunteers Saturday, man, I, I want to do it. That, that should be us. But everybody's like, don't look at me, please, Pastor, don't look at me. You know, I'm not saying that's us, but that, that's sometimes people's mentality. Is they, they, they don't have this enthusiasm to serve the Lord in what they do. And, and that's so important. So what's the opposite of, of being sluggard? Being a diligent person. 
diligence, there, if you read in Proverbs, there's a lot of times where it'll say sluggard, and it talks about the diligent person and the blessings that comes with that. So we're, we're to be diligent. Verse 12, he says, a worthless person, a wicked man, walks with a perverse mouth and he winks with his eyes. He shuffles his feet. He points with his fingers and perversity is in his heart. He devises evil continually and he sows discord. Therefore, his calamity shall come suddenly. Suddenly, he shall be broken without remedy. The suddenly part of this, I believe, is because when you're lazy, you're not paying attention. You know, like he says, the Bible says he comes like a thief in the night. I don't believe that will be the case to those of us that know he's coming. It's not a surprise when you know he's on his way. <laughs> it's the ones that are lazy that are they're just not paying attention. They're the ones that calamity comes without warning and just, surprise, I'm here. One of the main features of the worthless and wicked person's manner of his life, his walk, is a corruption of his speech. I was reading another place in Proverbs where he talks about how the man puts his hand into the bowl and doesn't even have the energy to put it up to his mouth. <laughs> that's, that's the epitome of laziness, but that's scriptural. It's in there. There's people that I know that are just that lazy. They get on the couch and they start watching TV and, oh, my phone's about to die. Oh, my phone charger's way over there across the room. That, that's just, I mean, pity me, you know. <laughs> But that doesn't please God. I'm not saying you got to be involved in everything that goes on at church, but what you do do, you should do it with enthusiasm, with excitement, being grateful that you get to be a part. My old pastor told us a story years ago about a guy that was a dishwasher in this restaurant, and he said that this dishwasher did it with such excitement that by the time he left and retired, people were fighting to have his job because he made it look like so much fun. You can do that with whatever God calls you to do. It doesn't matter. It's not supposed to always be easy. But you can enjoy what you're doing when you're following God's direction. Anyway, moving on. Um, something else I wrote in my notes is everything in life changes when you bring God into the picture. You know, the, 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 this, this lazy man, this is something that Solomon was in, really wanting to get across and there's several places throughout Proverbs where he talks about the lazy man and you don't work, you don't eat. You know, that, that's just, I've quoted that to my kids a few times and they don't like that. <laughs> that's part of it. But he talks about he winks with his eyes and, and, you know, God knows how to set the cynical and the crooked speaking man or woman in their place. God knows how to put people in their place. And, and uh, you know, I mean, uh, moving on in verse 16, he says, These six things the Lord hates. Yes. Again, this should be a bold, bold number. Uh, verse 16 should be bold. I, ever, ever since I learned that, it's made me, because when you're reading the scripture, not, Proverbs is a little harder to do because it's just all random thoughts. But in other scriptures, like when Jesus is talking, you'll see the bold number, and it's like you can tell that there's a change of thought in that scripture, and it, when it's studying it, just a little study help. But he says, now we're talking about the seven things the Lord hates. Now, how many of y'all know this isn't the only seven? <laughs> this is just the only seven that the scripture mentions. The, you know, the, the, the Catholic Church came out with something called the cardinal sins, which was kind of an ex, expounds on these. But anyway, he says, 
these six things the Lord hates, and yes, seven of them are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift and running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. These six things, yes, seven, he says. Seven times in the book of Proverbs, Solomon used the expression to give a list. And this list is, is what we read. A proud look, a lion tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises evil plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among brothers. I bet everybody in here can say I've seen that happen in church. <laughs> that last one, I've seen, I've seen some evil stuff going on in church. I mean, it, it, it's, I've seen some ugly, ugly between so-and-so and so-and-so, and they go around and they talk to so-and-so, and next thing, you know, that, that's the ugliest thing that happens in church. And God does not like it. He doesn't like that discord being brought amongst the church folks. But that happens. But one thing I learned is that most of these sins are connected to something we do. In or through our body, the eyes have a proud look, the tongue lies, and so on. And this collection of seven sins is also focused on how we treat others. All these seven sins all involve how we treat others. It's one of the highest among the things. He talks about sowing discord among brothers. This is, this, this is presented as the result of the other six. If you have a proud look and you lie in tongue and you shed, you shed the hands that shed blood, sowing discord among brothers seems like the, the rally of it all. It all, it all kind of hinges together. You can't do all those without having that happen. And then, okay, squirrel again. We're changing subject again. He's back to the harlot. It, he says in verse 20, My son, keep your father's command and do not forsake the law of your mother. Bind them continually upon your heart and tie them around your neck. When you roam, you will lead, they will lead you. And when you sleep, they will keep you. And when you awake, they will speak to you for the commandment is a lamp and the law is a light. Reproofs of instruction are the way of life. And to keep you from evil woman, from the evil woman, from the flattering tongue of a seductress. Um, in chapters five through seven, each of, each of the warnings against adultery is prefaced by an admonition to pay attention to the word of God. What's the word said? The, the, the lamp is like a lamp unto my feet. The word of God is the most important thing that we hold in our arsenal. And I tell you, it's the devil's biggest tool to try to remove from your path. If he can get, you don't believe me, if you're not a regular reader of the word, make a declaration this week. I'm going to start reading my word this week. And I guarantee you, everything in the world is going to come against you being able to read your word. Why? Because the devil knows that if you begin to read your word, you become unstoppable. And all of a sudden, you become wise to the serpent's ways in your life. And this is what Solomon is trying to get to his son. He said, just stay close to the word, read the word, seek wisdom, hang it around your neck. You know, when I was in the military, we, you know, they gave us the little Gideon Bibles, the little, little pocket ones. And I remember I, I never read the Bible. I wasn't a Christian back then, but 
I remember being over in the desert, and I'm sitting on top of my tank one day, and there wasn't nothing going on, and I read on, start on page one. Nobody's there to tell me to start in John or somewhere else, but I just started on page one. But I kept that Bible close to my heart because to me that was the most important thing that I possessed during that time, and it still is. Now I got a bunch of them all over the place, uh, you know, I'm, most of us probably got them all over the place. I got one in college. I got one from my ordination. I, but the Word of God is so important. The Bible says the Word of God is living and active. And when, it, when it's cherished and it's kept close, we benefit from its living power. So this is all stuff that's so important. He's not just, he's not just rattling off a bunch of nonsense. He's saying, hey, keep this wisdom around you. The Bible says it, it, it will lead us, it will keep us, and it will speak with us. Anyone who wants to lead and wants God to lead, he should begin cherishing God's word. If you're in here and you want God to lead your life, my son, he's going through, he, he's just started down there and he's, he's had some hiccups and is getting settled in. And I, all he can do is just pray and seek God, and God will lead him through. He's at, he's, he's, I know I'm supposed to be here. No matter what's coming against me, I'm going to stick it out. If I'm gonna, It's going to work. I was proud to hear that because most kids are like, I'm coming home, <laughs> but he's not because he knows that God can get him through. Proverbs 6.22 says, presents God's word as a person who married, who helps in many ways. He will guide and lead you. He's as a guardian, he will keep you, and as a companion, he will speak with you. The word of God is that that kind of thing. It it, it guides and it leads and it and it Charles Spurgeon says this about the word of God, and I love this. He says, The Bible is a wonderful talking book. There is a great mass of blessed talk in the precious volume. It has told me a great many of my faults. It would tell you yours if you would let it. It has told me much to comfort me, and it has told me much to tell you if you would but incline your ear. It is a book that is wonderfully communicative. It knows all about you, all the ins and all the outs of where you are and where you ought to be, and it can tell you everything. I had never heard the Bible wrapped up in the, I just love that. That's so true. If you would just allow the Bible to illuminate your life, it's amazing what it does. So moving on in verse 25, he says, Do not lust after her beauty, still talking about the harlot, nor let her allure you with her eyelids, for by means of a harlot a man is reduced to a crust of bread, and an adulteress will prey upon his precious life. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? So is he who goes into his neighbor's wife, whoever touches her shall not be innocent. See, in Solomon's day, this, there was an alluring, uh, normally took place in a personal account. When I was in the desert in, in the Middle East, everybody, all the women were everything. All you saw was this little patch of eyes. And just looking at a woman's eyes, it's, there's such a... There's a beauty to it, and so I can understand where he's talking about don't let her lure you with her eyes. You know, it, it, it's, it's a real thing. 
I'm going to keep going. And then verse 30, it says, people do not despise a thief. People don't, they don't despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is starving. Yet when he is found, he must restore sevenfold. He may have to give up all the substance in his house. Whoever commits adultery with a woman lacks understanding. He who does so destroys his own soul. He wounds and dishonors, the, the, the wounds and dishonor he will get. And his reproach will not be wiped away. For jealousy is a husband's fury. Therefore, he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will accept no recompense, nor will he be appeased through you, though you give many gifts. He's saying the adulterer steals, but not out of necessity. And, and, but he does it in such a way that restitution is impossible. You know, a guy steals for food. That's one thing. But when you steal a man's wife... There's no, there's no forgiveness in that. You know, the man's going to have his, his he's going to pay you back. And it, that's what he's trying to say is it's not, it's not that simple. And it destroys your soul. And, and so that he's kind of, he's dancing back around, you know, in chapter 5 we're talking about immorality. And, and he's back, back again. Just wanted to recap that just to make sure that's what he's trying to do. And so that's the, that's the end of uh, chapter 6. And uh, I wanted to get through chapter 7 because it's, again, it's <laughs> the story of seduction. When I was young and I first started going to church, I was, I was obviously not a Christian, and I read these scriptures, and it was like, wow, that's pretty vivid. <laughs> you know, and, and the, the, the way the encounter that it paints, and he, he in verse 7, or chapter 7, verse 1, he's going back, he says, my son. Keep my words and treasure my commands within you. Keep my commands and live in my law as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers and write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your nearest kin. We need to do those with God's word. When he says what he says for us to do in our lives, he says, write that on the tablet of your heart. Solomon counseled his son to have a living, breathing relationship with the Word of God. And I think that is so important. I, I, my wife is, I've never met anybody that reads the Bible all the time. I'm talking like nonstop. When we go to bed, it's playing on the radio or on the phone. And when she gets up at 4 in the morning and wakes me up praying, she's got her Bible in her lap. And, but she loves the Lord, and she loves spending time in His Word. And... She makes it hard to keep up with her because she's she she's she just she works at home and she's got an office at home and and she can sit and listen to the to sermons and she can listen. But she has such a heart for God and she has a heart to hear His Word and and she knows the importance of what it does. In verse five, he says that 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 they may keep you from the immoral woman. So there's a benefit of keeping God's word in our Father's wisdom. It says that they may keep you from the immoral woman and the seductress who flatters with her words. There's benefits to the word of God. Sorry. Verse 6, he says, For at the window of my house I looked through, the, through my lattice, 
And I saw a young, a song among the simple, and I perceived among the youths a young man devoid of understanding, passing along the streets near her corner. And he took the path to her house, and in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark of night. Now see, he's talking about devoid of understanding. He's just a kid that's unexperienced. It's like a kid growing up in the farm and all of a sudden living in Hollywood. He's got a rude awakening ahead of him. There's a whole different kind of culture. And that's what I think Solomon is trying to say is that, hey, son, I'm telling you, what, I've, what you've experienced in this great palace of ours is not what it's like outside these walls. And I'm trying to warn you that when you get out into the, to the cities and you begin to do your thing, be careful. Everything that I've taught you, write it around your heart because it's the only way you're going to survive. I could hear the heart of a father in all this. But this simple man has his mind open but it's in a gullible and dangerous way. He, he's open-minded about this new world he's getting ready to experience. I remember when I was younger, I, you know, I, I felt invincible, and, you know, we all did. I was just talking to one of the ladies I work with at work, and I said, I remember when I was a kid, we jumped off the garage with the umbrella to see if it'd work. You know, we did stupid stuff as kids. I mean, we all did. You know, and now, you, you know, it's a little different, but... <laughs> But it's not only the young man who faces these challenges of purity. Men and women of every age have their own challenges to pure living. It's true. Yet these are often more severely felt in the, young, the life of a young man. It's, it's more obvious. See, the world tells us, have your good time and, and when you're young and get it all out of your system. And when you're older, you can settle down and be religious and proper. Yet God's wisdom can make a huge difference in the life of a young man. We had an, uh, we got a cousin and my wife that he lived with us for a little while. We got him on his feet. And my wife even warned him, don't go around this girl. She's trouble. Next thing you know, he's got a kid. That's life-altering forever. You know, and, and it's one of those times where you wish you could have instilled a little bit more wisdom. But there's only so much you can do. You can't force people to make the right decisions. All you can do is encourage but if you're one of those people that don't ever say anything, then you're, you could be just as guilty for not warning. And not. And that's where I think God's wisdom in us as we live our lives, we owe it to those around us to try to say something. And continue on in verse 10, he says, And there is a woman met him. And with the attire of a harlot and a crafty heart, she was loud and rebellious, and her feet would not stay at home. And at times she was outside, and at times in the open square, and lurking at every corner. I picture a woman that everybody in town knew who this woman was, but this kid, he had no idea who she was. And everybody knew who she was, everybody knew what she did, but yet he comes around the corner having no idea. <coughs> you know, and, and it... Yeah. So she caught him and kissed him. With an imprudent face, she said to him, I have peace offerings with, it, with me. Today I have paid my vows, and so I came out to meet you and diligently to seek your face, and I have found, your, found you. I have spread my bed with tapestry, colored coverings of Egyptian linen, and I have 
perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. And come, let's take our fill of love until morning, and let us delight ourselves with love. See, so she caught him and kissed him. <laughs> it's not like he asked for it. She just, obviously, she came up and just grabbed him and just, you know, and, and, but the idea is that she trapped him and that this is, it's an accurate description of how many are ensnared in this sexual immorality, immoral relationship. Most people don't go out and say, oh, I'm going to go have me an immoral relationship. They don't go out looking for it. It just kind of happens, <laughs> you know, and, and it's because of bad decisions in our life and being in the wrong places. And But a sexual immoral person shows a certain defiance and in, 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 in a sexual immoral woman Solomon describes is not against religion because she says I have my peace offerings with him. so she's trying to pretend to be this this good person to this kid and so the kid's like oh she's a nice girl I came out to meet you and diligently seek your face see by instinct or experience the seductress knew the power of making this simple young man feel desired she knew what she was doing she was a professional at what she was doing and this kid had no chance because he had no wisdom. He didn't, have, he didn't have this wisdom. And that's what Solomon is trying to say is that don't be this guy. In verse 19, for my husband is not at home and he has gone on a long journey. He has taken a bag of money with him and will come home on the appointed day. And with her enticing speech, she causes him to yield. With her flattering lips, she seduces him. So obviously she's betraying her husband and her honor, her marriage, and her faithfulness to God. She persuades the young man, the simple man, that this was safe and that my husband's going to be gone for a while. She ain't got to worry about him coming home. You know, you see how she's painting this, this picture that's this is just, you'll never get a chance like this again kind of. She's painting this, this pretty picture. And with her enticing speech, she causes him to yield. At the end of it all, her seduction was successful. With her enticing speech and her flattering lips, she convinced the simple young man to sin with her sexually. She used words and actions to successfully walk her victim through these steps of seduction. It's, it's, it's all a plan. It was all well orchestrated on her half. She had a well-chosen target she was able to, available to meet. She had provocative clothes. She, she was a bad character, loud and rebellious. Um, she was looking to trap and seduce. She was free with her physical affection. She gave some recognition to religion by saying, I gave my peace offerings. And she pursued to make one feel desired. 20, verse 22, immediately he went after her, and as an ox goes to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till an arrow struck his liver. As a bird ha hastens to the snare, he did not know it would cost his life. The only thing I can say about that is that the Bible has strong words for somebody who causes somebody to stumble. And I, I wouldn't want to be that person. <laughs> but he can't put it all on her because he... he, he he was led, and he allowed, and, and it's, 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 it's sad to see this story, but it happens a lot. 
Verse 24, now therefore listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for she has cast down many wounded. And all who were slain by her were strong men. Her house is the way to hell, descending to the chambers of death. He goes back into verse part of that. He says, now therefore, listen to me. So here's Solomon again, once asking for the attention of his children. This is an important matter. Pay attention to me. <laughs> Pay attention to me. Trust me, please. Don't fall for what she has to offer. Solomon understood that adultery and sexual immorality began in the heart. I come back to thinking about maybe he knew what happened with his dad and his mom. Maybe he heard the story. Maybe David at some point said, hey, you know, don't do what I did and passed it down. I mean, because David knew what he did. The Bible says that he was, there was three curses that fell upon him because of what he did with Bathsheba. He lost his firstborn. The sword never left his house. And I can't remember the third one, but there was a third one. But punishment came. Even though he was a man after God's own heart and even though God forgave him, he still had to be punished for what happened because God's a just God. And that's what happens. And so I can't help but wonder, did Solomon and, and, and David have this conversation at some point? Was, was, he the one, was he the inspiration behind why he's trying to teach his son the same things? Is it stuff that they went through? These are the things I'd like to ask Solomon when I meet him one day. It says, do not stray into her paths. If the heart is turned aside towards sexual immorality, the feet will find it easy to stray in that direction. If your heart is in the right direction, your feet will go where your heart is. Does that make sense? You know, when you first got saved, you, you'd be at church every time the doors open. And if you allow your heart to stray, the next thing you know, you'll miss it one Sunday, you'll miss another. And I've seen it happen. I've seen people come and all strong and on fire for the Lord. Next thing you know, they're in prison. It's like how I've seen that happen as a youth pastor. I've seen kids that I... I it, it's hard because you want to force everybody to... I, I can understand... How God would, you just wish he could just force people to go the right direction, but it's our free will. Her house is the way to hell. That wasn't how she saw it or described it. But in Proverbs seven sixteen, he says, but this, it was true. Wisdom teaches us that things are not as they are often presented or perceived. Rare is a person who willingly, knowingly takes the way to hell and descends to the chambers of death. Unfortunately, and the, the scariest words in the Bible to me is when Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. Because I think of the many, many people who are going to stand before him and swear on their mama's grave that they have the tickets to heaven and they're going to be broadsided with a, nope. And, and it's, that scares me because he says, I never knew you. How do you know the word? How do you know God? Through his word. How do you know him and spending time with him and, and fellowshipping with him? And this is the nut, in a nutshell, what Solomon is trying to say. Stay close to the word of God. Stay close to God. Put it around your neck. Guide yourself through all this. He's saying that stuff's going to come against you. Stuff's going to come against us. I can't, you know, as a youth pastor, I would try to give as much information as I can, but all I can do is say, hey, I wish I could tell you that you're, 
years ahead are going to be great, but they're not. Stuff's going to come against you. You're going to have temptations that are going to come against you. All I can do is tell you how to find your answers and hope you stick with it. That's, that's all we got. But he goes on. See, wisdom sees what is concealed. And I love that. I know there's a lot to wrap up into that, but I, I love the word. I, I, I remember years ago, I've, I was reading the, the story of Peter when he gets out on the water with Jesus, you know, he falls in, and I, I don't know what translation I read it at, and I ain't been able to find it, but I read where he walked back to the boat, I'm like, oh my God, that's so cool, I didn't think about it, I was like, you know, when he falls in the water, did he swim back to the boat, or... I just picture Jesus bringing them back up, and they walk back to the boat. I was like, it may not be really what happened. I don't know, but my imagination, I think that would be kind of cool. But my point is, is there's so many little nuggets in the Word that just, if you read it, it just it, it sparks a little excitement in you. And His Word is so amazing. But more importantly, He's amazing. And he wants to lead us, and he wants to protect us from the stuff that comes against us. As a church, he has the desire to give us the supernatural wisdom to guide us through the pitfalls that the devil has against our church. As a pastor, he has a responsibility to stay close to the word, to, to make sure that he doesn't fall into pitfalls as a leader of the church. And, and we as a, as a body owe it to him to pray behind him and support him and to be enthusiastically involved in everything that we do in church. It's exciting when there's enthusiasm in those that are following the pastor. It's not so when you turn and, and everybody's like, you know, okay, you know, don't be there, don't do this. But be enthusiastic about everything you do. Be enthusiastic about his word. You know, you can have a worship night and have a place be packed. Hey, we're gonna we're gonna sit down, we're gonna put tables together, we're gonna bring your crayons, your coloring books, whatever, and we're gonna sit, we're gonna study the word of God, and nobody'll show up. I don't know why, because the desire to study the Word is not like it used to be. My wife and I, when we first met, the pastor that we, we used to go serve under, he was, a, he was an older Baptist guy. He got filled with the Holy Spirit, and he lost his ordination. But so we call him, he's kind of Bapticostal. And, and he was really big on teaching Bible study. We'd start on a Friday night at 7 o'clock, and 9.30, we'd go take a break, go to the gas station, get snacks, come back, stay until 1 o'clock in the morning. Time was no time didn't matter. We were just having such a good time studying the Bible and 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 digging in and and so and so would read it this week and the next week we'd come back and and we would we kind of excited each other because so and so would read this and we're like well I was reading over here and Pastor Henry would never he would start a study and we never I think he probably got through two points and next thing you know we're chasing rabbits all the way on the other side of the clip the, the it just we loved every bit of it. We loved studying his word. Everything about his word was just amazing. It was exciting. It, I mean, my first Bible, it looks like a coloring book. I, I got every color. Crayola ain't. I've invented colors with the Crayola crayons that I had. I'm just saying it was, it was such an exciting time to study the word. But in today's day, we're so busy. So it, we got so much going on. We don't ever take time to just sit and study. When's the last time you and a couple people just sat and just studied the Word and just, just studied? I know this had nothing to do with Proverbs, but that, in a way it does because he says wisdom. Where's your wisdom? This is your wisdom. <laughs> Hang it around your neck, you know. Be like, like Run DMC back in the old days, the rappers, you know. <laughs> they used to hang them big old M, uh, VM, uh, the, they used to have necklaces with like the Mercedes and 
They used to break them off the tops of the hoods of the cars. And Anyway, I'm going to stop. Amen. I have ADHD, and I'm not ashamed of it because I, I, my, my mind thinks a lot faster than all of y'all's. That's the way I tell everybody. I was like, hey, it's not a, dis- it's not a deformity. I, I'm, I'm thinking way more than you are right now. There's no way you can catch up. I just, it's, it's a challenge to keep it all corralled in the same interstate, you know. <laughs> I got six lanes of traffic going on right now, and it's, a, it's 50 years of keeping it directioned in the same way. When I was a younger kid, I was, you ever see, yeah, anyway, see. Ah, Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you. Lord, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that you love us enough to correct us. Lord, I, we read earlier about reproof, Lord. Lord, the word says that you love those who you reprove, Lord. And nobody likes correction, but, Lord, you lovingly correct us, Lord. And it's your desire that we live a prosperous life. It's your desire that, that, that we are wise to the enemy's ways. And, Lord, what I read out of 5, 6, and 7 is that there is a wisdom that is only available from you. And it's through your word, Lord, that we have this wisdom. And, Lord, when, when the temptress comes against us, Lord, being close to your word will provide a way out from these snares. And, Lord, I just ask that you would just touch each and every one of us, Lord. Lord, I pray that you would put a new excitement for your word in each and every one of us, Lord. And, Lord, I pray that as we read, Lord, that it would just the words would just jump out of the page. Lord, that you would reveal things to us that we've never read or never seen before. But, Lord, that you would just put an excitement in us. Lord, I pray that you would wipe the dust off that light bulb. Lord, your word says that it's, your, your word is like a lamp unto our feet. And, Lord, I pray you'd put these into make them LEDs, Lord, something. But, Lord, I just ask that you would just bless us tonight. And we just ask that you'd protect Pastor and, and, and Miss Kim on their way home. And we give you praise and honor and, and glory. And we just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys so much for allowing me to to speak. And does anybody have any prayer needs while we're together? Okay. For your body, can you all come up? And we're just come up together. Let's just lay hands on her and pray. Anybody else?